Christian, get those desires under control. And not just the ones that are obviously wrong. Comfort, rest, pleasure, an easy time. It's not wrong to want those things, we all do. But you mustn't let them control you. That's how a false prophet is born. Peter has warned us, he said, there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. He's warned us and he has reassured us. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. But of course, that doesn't mean you can sit back and do nothing, didn't Peter say in chapter 1? Therefore, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. You've still got to work at being a strong, godly Christian. But Peter has also reassured us that you have got everything you need to do that. And Peter has given us some idea already about what these false teachers are like. They're tricky tricksters. They look like they belong among you, but they sneak in wrong and dangerous ideas that could lead you astray. They look like they belong, but they're not godly people. And by that, he means they don't give God his proper place in their hearts. No, he says, they are sensual people. And by that, Peter means that they're the kind of people who give into and are controlled by their own natural desires. That's what Peter has told us already, but he's not done with that. He's got more to tell us about the kind of these scoundrels, and actually he uses up a lot of ink on it. If you divide this letter up by subject matter, this, the bit where he describes these false teachers, is the biggest chunk by far. And he feels really strong about that. You can tell by the language he uses what's coming up is quite a rant. So I guess Peter really wants us to know what to look out for, don't you? And he wants us to be serious about this. So we're going to take a look at what he says. We look down his list, Peter's list of things you can expect from false teachers. First, he says they're proud and arrogant. They have ideas above their station. They are presumptuous and bold. They claim to have authority and abilities that they have no right to claim. And on top of that, he says they are willful. They get something into their heads and they bull on with it. And they tremble at nothing. In other words, they don't have about them that sense of their own weakness or low standing that humble people have. And as an example of that, Peter says, they blaspheme, that is, they speak against the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous thought against them before the Lord. They're not even afraid to slander supernatural beings, and even angels wouldn't dare to do that. I think the broader idea behind Peter's example is that they slander their enemies and scoff at things 
they don't understand. Which, come to think of it, is something Christians do a lot of, don't we? Ridicule and mock the people we disagree with. Hmm. Better be careful about that. Peter says these imposters he's talking about are like unthinking animals. Animals, I mean, you can tell Peter has strong feelings, but what he has in mind is that they act on instinct. They don't think things through. And because they don't think things through, they're going to be caught out by the consequences of what they say and do, and they're going to perish like animals. He says, these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. They're turkeys waiting for Christmas. They love to indulge themselves. They count it pleasure to revel or to carouse in the daytime, he says. Carouse, revel, have a good time, treat themselves. Enjoy a bit of luxury, that's the idea there. Now, there's nothing wrong with the odd party or a wee bit of a treat now and again. But when there's work to be done, these guys are carousing in the daytime when they should be working. So they bring disgrace on your gatherings, he goes on. Spots and blemishes, he calls them. Their presence makes your fellowship unsavory to the Lord and to other people who look on. And while they sit around your table with you, they love to go on about their hobby horses, their pet subjects, their heresies, their false teachings, their wrong ideas, their blots and blemishes, reveling in their own deceptions when they feast with you. You know the kind. You sometimes find yourself thinking, will he ever give over? And they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. Now, it could be that Peter is saying that they're sexual predators who can hardly help themselves. It is more common than you would like to imagine, even in Christian circles. And Peter does seem to put an emphasis on sexual sin throughout this section of his letter. So maybe there was some of that stuff going on in the churches he was writing to. So do take it seriously and don't think it could never happen here. It can happen anywhere. But I think we're also meant to take Peter's words here in a broader sense. These are people whose eyes are always straying onto things they shouldn't be looking at. And that's an indication of where their hearts are. What is it they say, where the eyes go, the heart will follow? They go about looking for new things to indulge themselves with. What we have here really is the sensuality thing again. I've mentioned it already, people who give into and are controlled by their natural desires. And you'll see it keeps coming up through this list. Peter says they entice unsteady souls. They love to take other people along with them. They make giving in to those desires, the desires that control them, they make it look attractive. At least they make it look attractive to unsteady souls, to people who aren't clear about what's right and what's wrong, new believers or immature believers or poorly taught believers or believers who are inclined to waver, half-hearted believers who like to keep one foot in the world. They're easy prey to these guys Peter is talking about. But that's, by the way, back to the imposters, he says they have hearts trained in greed. There's that sensuality thing again. 
They're so used to greedily satisfying their own desires that they probably don't think of themselves as being greedy at all. It has become second nature to them. And as an example of that, Peter says they're like Balaam. You know that story? Remember it's from Numbers chapters 22 through to 24. Balaam, the prophet, he knew he shouldn't curse God's people, but he couldn't resist the temptation of Balak's money, so he compromised a bit. So these people exercise what ministry or what status they have among you for gain. Maybe not for money. There's not much of that to be had in Christian work, at least not in the circles we move in. But there are other kinds of gain. Recognition. Prestige. I mean, I, I know guys, and I'm sure you know them too, who get a kind of acclaim and respect and standing among Christians that, to be honest, if they had to compete out there in the real world, people would call them losers. Somehow they get a position among us and they hold out the offer of what people want. That and the fact that they do entice unstable souls, I suppose that's how they get their following. Maybe they offer an easier Christian path. Maybe it's a better Christian experience. Maybe they offer clever teaching that stimulates the mind or feeds people's suspicions. Whatever, they promise a lot, but ultimately Peter says they disappoint. He calls them waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. Waterless springs, you imagine yourself in the desert, thirsty, you spot a well in the distance, you run to it to get a drink, but it's empty. Mists driven by a storm, he says. Apparently what Peter's referring to there was a common enough sight in the desert. Mist driven along by hot winds and it gives the appearance of a refreshing shower on the way, but no, just more dryness and heat behind it. They speak great swelling words of emptiness. They make big promises and great claims that come to nothing. Speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Their empty promises and big claims appeal to the desires we all have, desire for comfort, for rest, success, desires of the flesh. It sure does keep coming up here, doesn't it? And they promise freedom. You don't really have to give that up. You can still have a great time. You're free to go on living any way you please. And again, that draws in new believers and weak believers. Well, there you go. That was quite a list, wasn't it? That's the kind of them. They look like they belong, and you think they do, but they don't give God his proper place in their lives. Instead, they follow their own natural desires, not thinking of the consequences. They're proud, they're boastful, they're arrogant. They're quick to put others down. They're self-indulgent, they're greedy. They're in it for what they can get out of it. They promise a lot, but it's all empty promises. That's the kind of them, these false teachers, who are going to be among you, and maybe are already. Oh, some rant, Peter. Why, Peter, are you making so much of this? Well, here's what I think we're meant to take from it. First, before we go anywhere else, this is here for our encouragement, and you shouldn't overlook that. I hope you noticed, but all the time he was ranting on, Peter was dropping in reminders. Turkey's waiting for Christmas. 
They reap the consequences of their ways. They're accursed children. They're under God's curse. They're doomed. They talk about freedom, but they're slaves to their own sinful ways. They can't see it. They don't know it, but their sin has them on a course that's going to destroy them. And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under judgment until the day of judgment. Peter wrote this whole letter to encourage believers who are living in dangerous times. And I think here we should be encouraged to realize that even though there are these tricky, deceptive, dangerous people all over the place, and let's face it, in every church at some time or other, even so we should be encouraged to know God has it in hand. God's in control. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. We focused on that last week, but I want to remind you, you do not need to be unduly concerned. The people of God are going to be okay. So be encouraged. But moving on, if you think about what Peter has just told us, you'll realize that it gives us a lot of insight into what's really going on with these false teachers. Now, they won't all do the same things. You can't use this as a checklist and go down it and say, hmm, scored eight out of 10, false teacher. Doesn't work that way. But what you do see in this list is there's a theme running through it. If you notice that, I tried to draw your attention to it as we went along. It's called sensuousness. That's what I called it, picking up on the word Peter used in verse 2. That's the thread that draws everything on Peter's list together. False teachers are fundamentally sensuous people. They are people who give into and are controlled by their own natural desires. Now, I've said already, but I'm going to repeat it. The desires that control sensuous people don't need to be obviously bad or wicked. They needn't necessarily be desires for things that are grossly sinful. Sensuous people could be just people who like their comfort. They like a little bit of luxury. They like to have a bit of a rest when they should be working. They could be people who like the acclaim and prestige that goes with being a teacher, or they could be just people who enjoy a good time. And those are desires we all have. But here's the thing. They shouldn't control us. They shouldn't control us. Because, you see, our lives belong to God. God leads and guides and directs us his word is the light we follow. For us, it's all about him. It's not about gratifying our own wants. So we get on top of our natural desires and we tame them and we control them and we put them to death if we have to. But these false teachers, they don't do that. They give in to their natural desires and they're controlled by them. That's what underlies the things that Peter says mark them out. They are sensuous people. They are controlled by their own desires. False teachers are sensuous people, and it's going to show in the kinds of ways Peter has been telling us about. It might show in small, barely noticeable ways at first, but one thing leads to another, and it's going to lead them into big sin 
sooner or later. So Peter has given us insight into the kind of people false teachers are. We have that insight, well, what are we going to do with it? Well, we could use it to help us watch out for false teachers, and I, I think Peter wants us to do that. But be careful, this mustn't turn into a witch hunt. Remember, there's no need to be unduly anxious. But even so, Peter has made us aware of the possibility that there will be false teachers among us, so we should keep an eye out for them. When it comes to deciding who we're going to listen to and look to for leadership, most of us judge on doctrine. What does he believe? What does he teach? And sometimes it can be hard to decide if a person's doctrine is kosher or not, especially if you're not too well up on the doctrine yourself, if you're a new believer or haven't had a lot of teaching. Sometimes we judge on doctrine, sometimes we judge on gifts. Is he a good preacher? Does he have a following? It's how a lot of churches choose their pastors, isn't it? You invite him along, you listen to him preach, and if you like it, you give him a vote. But come on, every wannabe preacher has at least one good sermon up his sleeve, and he's not going to give you a bad one. Did you notice that Peter doesn't encourage us to judge either by doctrine or by gifts. And neither does Jude, by the way. I said to you last week that Jude's letter is kind of a, a parallel to Peter's letter. And when Jude deals with the same subject, he doesn't encourage us to judge by doctrine or by gifts either. And neither does Jesus. Listen to this from Matthew 7. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You will recognize them by their fruits. And I am sure that what Jesus has in mind there is the fruit of the Spirit. Godly character. That's what to look for. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Choose who you listen to and who you follow by their character. That's what Peter's telling us here. Is he a sensuous man or is he a godly man? That's the question Peter's encouraging us to ask. Morality, godliness, not teaching or gifting is what to look for when you're deciding who to follow. And out-and-out -out immorality is not the thing to watch out for. You might think that at first glance because of the example Peter uses but no, what you've got to look for is sensuousness. Now, the end point of sensuousness, what it can lead to, might well be gross immorality, but the signs are long there before it gets to that. Is he motivated by the desires of the flesh? That's how to spot a false teacher. Well, we are reluctant, aren't we? We'll very happily question somebody's doctrine, and we'll even question somebody's abilities, but not his character. 
Peter has given you insight here that will help you to spot a false teacher, a man or woman that you shouldn't follow or look to for leadership. And so, as well as that, there's a warning for us here in this insight that Peter has given. And the warning basically is, if you do spot one, don't follow him. Verses 20 to 22. If after they escape the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, they are again tangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Now, if you look closely at those verses, Peter's not talking about the false teachers there. He's talking about the people who have been taken in by them and followed them. And he says it's better not to have started out following Jesus at all than to follow a false teacher and end up back in the world living a sinful life and following your own desires. So don't listen to and don't follow an ungodly man. It's a very, very, very dangerous thing to do, says Peter. And there's one other thing that I think we're meant to consider in the light of the insight that Peter has given us. These false teachers, do you think they know they're false teachers? Do you think, is it deliberate? Do you think, did they sit down one day and decide to themselves, I'm going to lead these people up the garden path? And maybe some do that. And maybe some others get into a position of leadership and then out of fear of losing that position because they're sensuous people and they like the position, maybe through fear of losing that position, then they become deliberate deceivers. But I would think that most false teachers by far have no idea. It's just that they have never really gotten those desires of the flesh under control. Wanting to be popular, wanting to have it easy, wanting a bit of comfort, a little bit of luxury, a good time, food, sex, greed, lust, sensuality. And as happens, when you don't get on top of those desires, they get stronger and they lead you in wrong direction. And then other people started to say to them, oh, you're a good guy, I like what you say, I'll follow you. I think that's how a false teacher is born. Now here's my point. Sensuality, being controlled by the desires of the flesh, is something that we're all very, very prone to fall into, aren't we? I know I am. Paul says in Galatians, the flesh, desires of the flesh, he means there, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. It's a battle we all know the battle to keep those natural desires that we all have under control. Christian, get those desires under control. 
And not just the ones that are obviously wrong. The sexual passions, the greed, the desire for popularity. Not just the ones that are obviously wrong, but the ones that look okay as well. Comfort, rest, pleasure, an easy time. It's not wrong to want those things, we all do. But you mustn't let them control you. That's how a false prophet is born. You have to be on top of them. If you don't get on top of them, they will get the better of you. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's talking about the same thing here. The deeds of the flesh, natural desires that we're all born with, put them to death. If you live by them, they'll destroy you. By the Spirit, put them to death, and you will live. Nail the desires of the flesh to the cross, if you haven't already done it. And keep nailing them to the cross, because they just keep coming back again. And again, and again. Keep them under control. So there you go, false teachers. Now you know the kind of them. Watch out for them. Don't follow them. And beware lest you become one of them. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to take these warnings seriously. But most of all, Father, we thank you for that insight that your word has given to us into the hearts of those false teachers. Because that stands as a warning to us. Oh, Father, help us to bring those natural desires that tend to control us. Help us to bring them under control and keep on top of them and walk faithfully with you. In Jesus' name, amen.